All right, we're back once again. Uh, a little hiatus last week, uh, but we are back in full swing this week. Davis Ayega and, of course, Irene with us uh, this evening on Global Digest. Irene claiming she's not going to stay here for the full hour. We will see about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start off, guys. How was the weekend? All good? Good, good. I good. Good, thanks. Oyster men, anyone? Oh, no. I heard it was an absolute disaster. The sound was terrible. <laughs> yeah, the screens went off. Mm. Uh, you know, what I always say, if you buy cheap, you get cheap. All right, let's move on, shall we? Uh, 26 minutes to seven, uh, and we'll get straight into it. Uh, our resident Mandamano expert, Irene, is in studio for this particular topic here. I'm joking, by the way. Um, but let's talk a little bit about um, Azamio and uh, its opposition role. Where do you... You know, we if we look at, at the history of this country uh, under Kanu and Moy, there was absolutely zero opposition, much more like, say, a Rwandan government. I mean, there were those voices, but the, there was no real opposition, right? Uh, when Kibaki came into power, again, there could have been a proper opposition. And for some years there was until, of course, uh, Raila was made as a prime minister. The opposition kind of died under uh, Uhuru Kenyatta. Still no opposition. Then the handshake, definitely no opposition. Are we... Are we heading back to a similar situation? Maybe I'll start with you, Irene. Um, do we foresee some sort of deal being brokered? And, and and let's park that for a second. Even if there's no deal brokered, is does Ryla and does uh, his party uh, have the op- the metal to be a strong opposition party? From where I sit, I think um, the 2027 um, campaign politics might create an avenue for opposition leader Raila Odinga to bounce back, um, hinging himself on the political mistakes that President William Ruto will make. But uh, we all know that it is quite hard to remove an incumbent president and that if Odinga failed to clinch presidency in 2022, even with um, what we call the deep state, I mean, 2027 will be quite hard for him. But whether we will have an opposition or whether a deal will be brokered is still a wait-and-see situation because... Um, Odinga is uh, the type of politician who knows uh, to survive and camouflage himself in government by brokering a deal, say, one or two years into a, a new regime. So in this particular case, we, we thought that the talks, the bipartisan talks, will create an avenue for Raila Odinga to find a way of getting into government. But the way we see it is that the talks have stalled and there have been grandstanding in between but political analysts say when the grandstanding is quite a huge factor, it means that the talks are ongoing behind the scenes. I know Odinga said that they have not met with President William Ruto, and President Ruto has said, I have not had talks with Darila Odinga. But what happened behind, this, behind the scenes is that these leaders are always talking, and when you see nothing is moving, it means that there are still you know, issues that they have not quite agree on, agreed on. So... Odinga is the type of politician who likes to surprise us, that we'll wake up one morning and we have an announcement that, you know, this is what we have decided for the sake of, quote-unquote, the peace of this nation. And the well-being of its citizens. <laughs> that's the, normally the rhetoric they use. But that's a, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the line they use most of the time. So um, we, we'll wait to see whether we'll have an opposition. But on this finance bill, they've tried to put up a fight by saying that they'll go back to the streets and that they will not... Um, give 
Kenya Kwanza coalition a smooth right in a smooth ride in parliament though we all know that they do not have the numbers so for this particular aspect of the finance bill we might say we have an opposition and see how it will go about it in terms of impeding the finance bill to be um, enacted but my question then I'll throw this one to you Davis is from what we've seen so far um, you know uh, opposition leader Raila Odinga and I, use, I say opposition in, in quotes, opposition leader Rado Dinga has been, you know, pretty forceful with his opposition role up to this point. He said he was going to go to the streets. He went to the streets. He's made a lot of noise. He's questioned a lot of the decisions or at least the idea ideologies of our current president. So and that's what you want from an opposition, because if you look at today's uh, headlines and I don't forget which daily it was. Uh, it said the, fi- the finance bill will be dropped from 3% to 1.5%. That's progress. I still don't want to pay the 1.5%. Don't get me wrong, uh, because I should have a choice. But that's progress, right? That means that that's the role of the opposition, what they've done. They've made, the, because if you go back three days ago, uh, President William Ruto was saying the bill is done and dusted. The way I've, the way I've outlined it is, is how it's going to go. Now there's a bit of backtracking. So that's the role of the opposition, correct? Correct. But from where I sit, we, we are seeing a different kind of Raila because the, the, the Raila people were used to a while ago is not the same Raila Odinga that is currently featuring in the, is being seen in the public domain because 10, 10 months since we moved from the August polls last year, we are seeing an opposition that is still hinged on claiming that the elections were rigged. We are not seeing a vibrant opposition reconciling themselves to the truth that they lost in last year's polls and that they need to move forward and uh, prepare for 2027, like Irene mentioned. But in reference to matters, the finance bill 2023, the, the, the adjustments that have been made in the bill in regards to the housing levy is the opposition has played a big part in ensuring that that percentage drops by half. And uh, we saw today President William Druto and his UDA party uh, announcing that the levy will now be reduced from the 3% to 1.5%. Mm. This is a big step, but uh, the opposition still has a long way to go considering the president has been very committed. He has been very intentional in raiding some members of the opposition. This is to ensure that his legislative agenda in parliament passes. In parliament, currently the president enjoys a super majority and this is because he has done some bit of raiding. Some members of parliament who were previously in Azimio have shifted camp and now in uh, the ruling Kenya Kwanzaa administration. So this just goes to show you that the opposition is not really the opposition that we want to see in matters being very vocal and being very united in, in, in ensuring that some issues, they, they come out in one voice to ensure that some of these issues are addressed. And from where things are also, they have been accused of uh, making this issue of the finance bill their own issue alone. They haven't on, onboarded other stakeholders in ensuring that they that we have different and divergent voices on this subject. So we're only seeing an outfit that primarily is lamenting about last year's election. Mm. And then it also chooses when to talk about the issues of the high cost of living, the finance bill. And we are seeing 
it's an outfit that continues to issue a string of ultimatums that uh, surrounds it on electoral reforms, uh, the issues of the high cost of living. So it is a wait-and-see situation to see how the opposition members of parliament will display their character when this finance bill will formally uh, start to be debated in parliament. The question I would then throw back to you, Irene, since we're still on this in, on this topic, mm-hmm. is, you know, Davis has raised a very valid point, mm-hmm. completely outnumbered in parliament, yeah. uh, is Azamio. Uh, the uh, Azamio leader, Ryan Lodinga, would know that no matter what fuss he makes, um, we, we've heard our president say he would like to see who defies him from his party mm-hmm. on the uh, go-ahead of this finance bill. So we already know, um, you know, that's probably close to 100%. Uh, voting yes yeah. from from UDA, um, but then the other point Davis raised, which is something I want to want to ask, is a two prong question. That's what part one. You mm-hmm. kind of know that no matter what you say or do, you're probably not going to get your way. Yeah. Secondly, um, is this just chest thumping because of a, a lost election? Does Rilo Dinger really want these things to change for the people of Kenya? Because if he is around uh, and he does run in 2027, what he's doing right now. He's going after that exact demographic that William Ruto went after uh, leading up to this election, which is that youth hustler demographic, because we're the ones, mm-hmm. and I should say we, the younger demographic, who is feeling the pinch of high cost of living, uh, high cost of commodities, um, doesn't want to pay that, you know, for the finance bill, uh, doesn't want to pay the taxes, uh, the 3% on the finance bill. So technically, he's kind of, he could be hijacking that huge, strong data, uh, that strong uh, voting base. Mm-hmm. Finally, the last point that Davis made is, oh, no, you made it. The incumbent in Africa, chances are it's very difficult to dethrone a sitting president on this continent. Uh, from where I sit, I think um, for Raila Odinga, while he's agitating for uh, amendments of um, some of the clauses in the finance bill, for him it's more political than anything. It's just that he's um, clutching on some of these issues to send a statement to the common monarchy that we are all for you when it comes to agitating for these particular changes. But let's take a moment to clap for President William Bruto because he has managed to so somewhat appear like he, he was listening to Kenyans in terms of changing um, the house levy from 3% to 1.5%. But what he does not understand is that Kenyans feel this particular levy as as forceful he has tried to compare it with um uh, singapore in terms of saying that you know at one particular point 60 years uh back we were at the same pedestal with uh, singapore but singapore when you look into their housing uh, project it has been funded by the government and private entities but what is happening in kenya is more additional tax but then again when we look at it if they re- they had in the 3.6 trillion budget, they had planned for 3% and reduced it to 1.5%. Who then will fund this additional uh, 1.5% that has been slashed? It then gives Kenyans a situation whereby we might be forced to borrow more so that the government can fund their affordable housing project. If at all, they have not been able to convince other development partners in terms of funding this particular project. When you listen to the sentiments that have been made by allies of um, opposition leader Raila Odinga, including the, the Nairobi senator Edwin Sifuna, is that they have decided to give you half poison. In fact, he tweeted that in Swahili to say, sumunusu." That shows that come tomorrow, 
Odinga will still be threatening that, by the way, this is not what we call for. We want that uh, house, lev- house levy scrapped in totality. So Odinga knows that where Kenya is right now, we cannot afford to survive without, without these additional taxes because other countries are not uh, willing, IMF is not willing to give us you know, debt given that most of our expenditure is recurrent expenditure. So he knows that if I attack this finance bill, it means that the promises that Kenya Kwanzaa made um, during the August 9th polls will flop. So you can see for him it is quite political, only that it's, he, he might try to win in this particular battle but fail. But what happens with Kenyans is that when we come to 2027, if this finance bill passes um, with some of the contentious clauses, come 2027, Kenyans will not vote to remove President William Ruto from power because of the finance bill 2023 because they are quite forgetful. And when we come to the polls, we are always vote on ethnic, ethnic lines in terms of the political zones that, you know, President William Ruto has backed on, will vote for him even though some of the laws that he, he has put in place have adversely affected their businesses and their well-being. I, I, I beg to differ with Irene Farid because this is a very opportune time for members of the opposition to leverage on this anger that Kenyans have right now because the finance bill 2023, it, it has become a very hot potato that... Uh, that that Odinga and his brigade need to be very vocal about because we are seeing a disenchanted voters, disenchanted voters who voted for President William Ruto but are now very angry with him as to why he wants to bring more taxes and tax so many sectors. So for the opposition, having done nationwide mass protest before and they never really yielded much result. So this is a very perfect opportunity for the opposition camp to be very vocal and ensure that they bring people on board, they ensure Kenyans are on board because by the mere fact that the president has threatened to to, to, to take unspecified actions against members of parliament in the Kenya-Kwanza coalition who will vote, who will oppose the bill. This just goes to show you that even some members of parliament who are in the government are still ad, are, are dissatisfied uh, and have not been convinced that this bill is good for the people. So if Raila Odinga can convince the masses and a section of members of parliament in the Kenya-Kwanza coalition, then this will be a very big test for the president because it will mean then there is a higher possibility that things might change in 2027 because, number one, Kenyans are angry at him. I was somewhere the other day and uh, and uh, someone just mentioned hustlers. Where are the hustlers? No one really... Wanted to be associated <laughs> no one wants to be with aligned with the hustler yes. narrative anymore, huh? and so, that was such a big narrative for for his election. Absolutely, right. yeah. yeah. Why I'm saying it's still um, early days for Kenyans to remember that a finance bill was passed in 2023 is because when we look into the Jubilee government, uh, a government that promised us um, studies and the laptop <laughs> project and and what have you. When it came to um, the voting line, even though President William Bruto excused himself to say I was not part of this regime, Kenyans were somewhat forgiving uh, in his case, saying, okay, this person could have been accused for, you know, 
taking burden of what he, he was not responsible but he for. Was res- but, but he was he part was, of that campaign, yeah, especially was, the first five years yeah. when all those promises were made. He was very much front and center when those promises were being made. Uh, yeah, the, the, and, dynamic, and, uh, the dynamics were different. The dynamics were different because this time around, Raila Odinga had moved into government and joined forces with President Uru Kenyatta, so which really uh, ensured that his voice... Ha- his voice was subdued in fighting for Kenyans. So, but this time around, what I'm saying, if Raila Odinga maintains his position and doesn't join forces with President William Ruto and continues to fight for the needs and the, and hears the voices of the people, there's a higher chance for him in 2027 with proper strategizing for him to present a very competitive. Uh, competitive to to be in a very competitive race with the incumbent who, who is president uh, but it needs to be a transparent uh monitored election for that to happen and and also given that um, President William Ruto is a politician. If you know him, he, he knows how to reinvent himself. Why I'm saying it is quite um, early for, for us to spell doom on his candidature come 2027 is that he'll calculate it to see that by 2025, he has put in place a robust framework to ensure that Kenyans forgive him come 2027. This politician we are talking about in this case um, is the type that is is quite calculative. He'll know how to bounce back once we come um, to the 2027 general election because he knows that if this bill passes and additional taxes are are introduced and then come 2027, there's nothing to show for it. He knows that he is on his way out, like what we saw in the 2002 um, general election. So he doesn't want that to happen. So I know he'll try to reinvent himself. But but two points I want to make on that. One is he's got to get something done. We're we're hitting month number nine, I think now. So we're we're closing in on a year. um, And we haven't, let's be honest, we haven't seen much. Right, we haven't seen much. We've seen a lot of trips to different parts of the world, mostly <laughs> west. No, and and maybe there's some bilateral conversations happening there that we will will bear the fruits of. We know Moses Curry has been very busy yeah. trying to get investment <laughs> into the country, but right now we're a bit of a hot potato as a country, right? Because you've got a lot of investors saying, I mean, we could set up there, and then there's Mandamano. So, and we don't know what the what the 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 destruction of the opposition will be in terms of, you know, making it un and it's exactly what the opposition wanted. They wanted to make it un unsavory for business so that a local businesses suffer b foreign investors are going hold on a second all it needs is one tire burning on gong road that's it and everyone in the west is going the country's on fire right that's one second thing there was a conversation about free nappies free diapers all right uh let's talk about this for a second because we, we we've opened up the free stadia conversation we've opened up the one laptop per child conversation all of which to be honest with you from where i sit in my very uh minim- minimal uh journalistic awareness could have told you 10 years nine months ago none of that issue was going to happen right we know that um now this free diaper thing not only are diapers not free they're actually going to raise the cost of diapers by adding a levy onto them as well so it's a complete you know, th- these are things that people vote for you for. These are, these are the you know, for mothers and for families that suffer. You know, you have kids and you, let's you know, nappies are expensive. You know, Davis, you're a, a new father, a newish father. You know, they're expensive. It's not cheap for all that stuff, the formula and all those things. You can't promise me something that is basically a basic commodity if you're a parent, and then take it away. Not only take it away, then say if you want it, you're going to pay more for it. That is where I have a problem. I think the problem with uh, President William Ruto's administration is that he seems to be over-promising on issues which he's fully aware that he can deliver. And that is why 
many of us Kenyans, many Kenyans out there are angry with this administration and this is one thing that the opposition coalition ASMU needs to leverage on and ensure that they need to have the the government to be answerable to some of the promises they have made to Kenyans and Raila Odinga has since threatened that fresh demonstrations will resume on July 3rd if the finance bill 2023 passes. So if 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 the finance bill passes, we will wait to see if the opposition leader will, will marshal enough numbers, and here I'm talking about Kenyans who are angry, to go to the streets and talk to the government because it seems this is the language that the government tends to understand because when you mention demonstrations, Interior Cabinet Secretary Professor Githure Kindiki seems to be very vocal about these issues, yet there are issues of banditry, there are issues of... Uh, which which are very which are very pressing which are not being dealt with like they need to be dealt with but when you mention demonstrations the government is very quick in 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 being hard on giving headline positions on this matter so the for president william Ruto, really his advisers need to tell him to he needs to tone down when it comes to over promising because already Kenyans are tired yeah that yeah. is yeah we're fact. tired we're tired of not being able to afford things we're tired of not being able to, you know, the the shilling and the dollar is, you know, I mean, everything that could possibly go against him has gone against him. And some will say that's an issue of circumstance. The world itself is in a pretty difficult place when it comes to the economy globally. This, this, is, this is a president who, yeah. when he was campaigning, he told us that uh, he, he rather dismissed his predecessor's assertion that the country was in a bad state because of the Russia-Ukraine war. And uh, th- we saw the then deputy president saying that uh, Kenyans cannot be told of s- such stories because what is happening in Ukraine, w- w- what is happening in Ukraine, it does not really affect us. That does not really affect us. But now we are seeing a president who is in power saying that the war is to blame for our mess, and this is one assertion that he disputed. But this is this is the this is the exact issue with not fact checking, not doing your homework, and you say things, and then all of a sudden you're being told that the bulk of the grain exports you get are from the Ukraine, and you didn't know because none of us knew, none of us knew, right? It was like the whole riparian land thing. Those buildings were put up, no one had any idea, then all of a sudden you're told you can't put it there for whatever reason that was. So we're in the same situation now. But again, nine months in. You've got four years and three months remaining of this presidency. You're going to start campaigning in two years and three months because two years before the election, we know they're going to start talking and the rhetoric begins. Um, Is Raila Odinga, does he have the staying power to remain as an opposition candidate? Uh, That's, you know, we I know you guys have have, we've, we've discussed this, but we've only skirted around it. Does he have the staying power to remain an opposition candidate or will he do what he has always done in the past? Back down, get a handshake. No, who knows what is was shared under the table? We don't have any proof of what how that deal is made. But then what happens to the rest of the people that have stood by him that have, I mean, a lot of them have completely lost their political goodwill because they were his, you know, I, I can name two or three. We've got mm-hmm. Martha Krua, Eugene Wamalwa, uh, Kalonzo Musioka and the like. Uh, and that brings up another question. Kalonzo does look like he wants to run. How will that play out for Ryland Kalonzo? These guys are in bed together and been in bed together for a long time. <laughs> I, I think that whether Odinga is, you know, uh, set out to be an opposition leader for the next four years and some months to come um, is a situation whereby he will have to see whether he has a chance come 2027. 
if he says that his chances in 2027 are quite minimal, then we might see a situation whereby he might be co-opted um, in the Kenya Kwanzaa administration. Now, the problem with Raila Odinga and why sometimes Kenyans find it hard to resonate with the momentum of the protest he stages after every election is that when the demonstrations get heated and it seems like, you know, Kenyans who are on the opposition bandwagon are almost, you know, getting their way. When he gets into government, he somewhat, you know, forgets some of the issues that the people who joined him are agitating for. Case example, in the March 2018 handshake, there was, a, there was a lot of expectations from Kenyans during that particular time, even to the extent that he swore himself in as the people's president to show that, you know, people are for me and I'm agitating for the people, only for him to get into government. And now we had a talk of BBI. From, from where different people see it, some, some people say that BBI was good for the nation. Others will say, no, BBI was not good for the nation. But during that particular time, the common Malayanchi found himself fixed, given that there was nothing for him, because even that BBI, if it was at all for him, it flopped. So in this particular case, if Odinga is to agitate for demonstration and create momentum every now and then, and if he will be successful to um, impede the finance bill through um, um, demonstrations, then we are going to see more and more people resonate with his movement. But if at all, the demonstrations that will be staged come July 3rd, I think that's when they're set to commence the demonstration, if all goes well, then if they're not, they will not be able to achieve what they seek to achieve through those demonstrations, then the larger public will not be able to resonate with his, his movement. But now the problem is, in 2027, we're having Kalonzo who's saying, man, I've supported you for... I think 15 years now, this is now my chance. And Raila, from where he's sitting, he's thinking, okay, I might be closer to presidency in the 2027 um, uh, general election. If we'll have a fight between those particular, those two leaders, then we'll have a split in the opposition, which will make it even more weaker, giving President William Bruto a chance to... Um, clinch a second term in government. Yeah, and I do think that that has to be a fear for him. <clears throat> they are obviously good friends. They're confidants of each other. But that's a very difficult conversation that's going to have to be had in the next 12 to 18 months between the two of them, I imagine. Until until we close the Kalonzo Bridge, uh, one thing that will work for the former prime minister is for him to remain consistent in his, in his messaging because he has previously stated that he's not interested in a handshake with President William Bruto and he does not want to be in government. So if he sustains that consistency and proves to Kenyans that he doesn't want to be part of the government, he's fighting for the people, he's championing for the people's rights and needs, then there's a higher chance for him in 2027 to remain relevant. Until 2027, we will only be able to know, is it him or Kalonzo who will be in the ballot? And I think that's the million-dollar question. Uh, but I think, Irene, and you both make very valid points, Irene, your point on the fact that if they both run a split opposition, that you can guarantee that William Ruto will be president even if he gets 40% of the vote. You know what I'm saying, <laughs> right? Okay, let's move on, shall we? Because that was a, a full uh, 30 minutes on that, but it was very, very good. Irene staying, that's great. I'm happy to hear that. We'll be right back after this.
Alright, welcome back to Global Digest. Myself, Davis and Irene in the hot seat this evening uh, as we move on and talk a little bit about uh, some of our regional uh, neighbors. Uh, let's start, well, continent-wide and regional neighbors. Let's start with uh, direct neighbors, Uganda. Uh, President Yaweri Museveni contracts COVID-19. Uh, for all intents and purposes, reading updates today uh, on Capital in the Morning. Uh, he looks pretty fit and healthy. He's a strong fellow. Uh, he seems to be okay um but there has been he was trending all weekend long and trending in the same uh conversation as uh, Magafuli of Tanzania and the conversation on twitter was Magafuli denounced covid spoke out against lgbtq rights and was killed by the west many of these conspiracy theorists saying Museveni is also they're also trying to off him as well because of the anti-gay bill but before we talk about that let's talk about his health how is he is he fine is he going to come out of this thing he's not a young man but he does look like a pretty fit and healthy man and if you remember just on that note we talked about it this morning davis during uh, covid's first wave uganda was one of the most uh, cut off uh, countries in africa with curfews and you know, uh, isolation, et cetera, et cetera, social distancing, mask mandate, et cetera. So they were one of the first to react. The big question is where did uh, Ugandan President Joeda Museveni drop his COVID-19 guard considering he has been a health freak and has been for the better, for the better part of uh, two years now because uh, COVID-19 struck Uganda back in 2021. He has been very intentional about adhering to some of these measures, the COVID-19 measures, the wearing of masks, social distancing, ensuring that the people who visit him uh, get to present their COVID-19 certificate. So it's still unclear why, how the Ugandan president contracted the virus because, but uh, the last meeting that he attended, it was the National Resistance Movement Party meeting, a 10-day retreat where uh, close to uh, uh, close to 20,000 people attended uh, that me- that meeting, and it is believed it is in the meeting here that from the interactions that he contracted the virus. But uh, yesterday he tweeted, like you've rightly mentioned, there have been uh, conspiracy theories that have been going around in social media saying that uh, the Western he wants him dead, God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday he tweeted, he said he's self-isolating, he's, he's strong and he's uh, on medication and that the people of Uganda should continue to pray for him even as he exuded confidence that he will defeat the virus and uh, come out strong and possibly vie in 2026. Who knows? Uh, him or his son or, or both maybe, who knows. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will, I will guarantee and say there'll be a Museveni in power in Uganda in 2026. <laughs> but, but what I'm wondering is, is, is why do bloggers in, in, in Uganda want uh, President Yoweri Museveni dead? Because the first time when he contracted uh, you know, COVID-19 in 2021, there were also false information that, you know, that the president had died due to COVID-19. And then now come 2023, he has contracted COVID-19 and now we have bloggers all over um, saying that, you know, the gentleman was in ICU, was pulled out from ICU, and now he's dead. It, you know, raises a question about Uganda and and, and, one, and the people fr- uh, spreading propaganda that, you know, that the old man is, is, is dead. Not being very malicious, but uh, the people, the, the bloggers in Uganda have to feed, and this debate on the Ugandan president contracting the virus comes hot on the heels after he signed the anti-gay bill into law and the the western people have been very angry with Museveni with the steps he took in signing the bill into law so 
it could be that the bloggers are being fed the information to spread in Uganda, but uh, we cannot certainly be sure about that. But uh, you, Museveni is very upbeat that he will defeat the virus and come out strong. And until he makes another announcement that is free from the virus, we will be able to tell the full story of what really happened because I'm sure there are doctors in Uganda who are working to ensure to track uh, who infects the president because even when he's doing his interviews with reporters in Uganda, even foreign journalists, he always he always keeps a distance from them. He's mm-hmm. been very he's been very strict about ensuring that the people around him also adhere to the COVID-19 measures which were put in place by the country and the World Health Organization. So even him contracting the virus comes at a time when the agency, the World Health Organization, last month declared that the virus is a no longer global emergency. So it begs the question, really, the prevalence of the virus in Uganda, which really needs to be investigated. Okay, if we are getting a second wave, we've seen it in our papers as well. Africa seems to be getting hit again. But before we end this conversation on Yoweri Museveni, I think we can all remember his very humorous video of how he self-isolated during the first wave or the first uh, three waves of COVID with him running up and down his hallway doing press-ups. And many of the Ugandan bloggers were saying, who else has a house that big in Uganda that you can exercise in the house? But having said that, um, the the, the need to blame Western powers on this um, and, and, you know, where is that coming from? Is that coming from Uganda itself or is it coming from, you know, and we know Kenyans are very active on Twitter. Could it be coming from here? But where is that information coming from? Who's starting this? I mean, he trended literally between number three and number 10 all weekend long. I think it's coming from um, why they're accusing the West is because of the draconian law that he he, he signed into law, Um, the the draconian bill which he signed into law. And you you know Museveni has been quite bullish to to the west to tell them that you'll not tell uh, ugandans how to protect their culture and what to do when it comes to this particular issue and that's why the sentiment that the west could have had away in this is coming from because what people are questioning is is how did Museveni drop down his guard when it comes to covid-19 when it comes to state officials who actually interact with him on a day-to-day basis, they say that he's quite a health freak in terms of he does not interact much with crowds. He's always wearing a mask. Um, um, his side table is always packed with you know wet wipes and what have you. That's what they, they say, actually. So they do not understand how this guy got to interact uh, this particular virus. Where did he let the gut down? Whether... There have been um, sentiments of whether the foreign diplomats who have visited him in the recent days have exposed him to the COVID-19 virus. But the coincidence of him signing uh, you know, the bill into law and him contracting COVID-19 um, virus is what has created this particular uproar in social media with you know, some saying that maybe this could be a, a, a way of eliminating him given that... Uh, President John Magufuli, uh, the late President John Magufuli, had become quite bullish to the Western entities. And before you know it, the guy had passed due to COVID-19. We're not saying that they had a hand in it, but the coincidence of these particular timings brings more questions than answers. We are not conspiracy theorists here, by the way. I think the other question would be, could, could this be a diversionary tactic from the part of the president and his administration to, to, to keep the Western people busy? 
Uh, it was going to be my next question. Is this actually? Um, um, is this actually? Did this, is this actually happening? You know what I mean? Could this be, as you have rightly said, just a way to get these guys to forget about the LGBTQ uh, b- b- uh, law that he signed or the bill that he signed? and, you know, deflect the blame onto them for trying to take him out. But who knows? Uh, Let's continue with that as well, because there is obviously um, some tie-in between uh, Museveni and Pielo Lumumba, who has faced backlash in South Africa over an invite to speak there. He's unwanted because he lauded Museveni for signing the anti-gay bill into law. Um, Now, we share similar laws uh, pre-anti-gay bill with Uganda and our other um, uh, neighbors, Tanzania, and a number of other African countries. Uh, but this is just another um, level of of eliminating or trying to eliminate the LGBTQ uh, community in South Africa, uh, in Uganda. Pielo Lumumba uh, came out to say that he agrees with it. He thinks it's a great move for Uganda. Uh, and of course, we know South Africa is much more open than most African countries when it comes to the community, the LGBTQ community. So now he's facing some backlash over an invitation to speak there. Um, should he be allowed to speak there? Should I mean, is is it? I mean, people people are allowed opinions. So the the party leader of the Economic Freedom Fighters in South Africa, Julius Malema, invited our PLO Lumumba to 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 do a lecture. It should be next month. But uh, once that invitation was sent out, the people of Uganda, the people of South Africa, sorry, and the students there uh, said that they they do not want PLO Lumumba to address them because they said that Lumumba holds homophobic views and they cited his. Uh, his, his message when he loaded the Ugandan president after he signed the bill into law. So, like you mentioned, South Africa is a liberal country that has uh, has 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 given the people where has given the people there the opportunity to do what they want in in respect to their sex life. So, for Lumumba to speak there, it is up to the people of South Africa to 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 determine and have a say in that. But uh, as as of this hour, there hasn't been an update if PLO Lumumba will get to still address the students there. But uh, it just goes to show you how that uh, South Africa has come a long way in in, in, in being a country that uh, really embraces divergent views because uh, Malema said that this would, uh, would, would excite the people there by the fact that uh, he holds a different view. He will bring another mixture into that conversation and so we wait and see to see if he will get that opportunity to to address the students in South Africa. But but, but I think that that, that is, is is a bad precedent because are people not allowed to have opinions concerning the you know LGBTQ plus community uh, just because he loaded um, uh, President Yoweri Museveni is to say that he believes that that's the way you know things should be in terms of protecting our African norms, cultures, and values. So for people in South Africa to say, okay, you're not allowed to come and, you know, give a lecture here because of having a certain opinion, will now make it impossible for people who make opinions opposing this particular community to have a stage in in, in different countries. I, I think people should be allowed to have their say not to interfere with the rights of uh, this community, but they should not be muzzled to remain mum on issues that they feel they want to to talk about. If, if at all, he will not be allowed to have that particular 
um, lecture in South Africa, I think it's it's quite sad. I, I, yeah, sorry, before you continue there, Davis, I mean, I, I kind of see both sides of the coin, right? Because, you know, if, if you are a pro-LGBTQ uh, supporter of the community or you are a member of the community, you would look at this as if as if they were inviting a white racist, hear me out, to come and speak in South Africa to a, a group of predominantly black students. That would not happen. That would never happen, right? In this day and age, that can't happen. Yes. So there is an argument, if you will, for the LGBTQ community because it is, it is uh, repressive. It is um, biased. <laughs> so the, all the same terms you would use for someone who, who, who has a racist uh, past or a racist present for that matter. So I can understand that side of the coin as well. However, on Irene's side of the coin, I do understand that, you know what, you're allowed opinions. Um, and truthfully, you know, it's, oh, I'm probably going to be canceled <laughs> for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, it's such a relatively new conversation for Africa. I yeah. do feel that maybe we have to give a bit of leeway for those who are set in their old ways, maybe. I think that conversation in South Africa is different because South Africa is one of the countries in Africa that uh, that embraces, uh, that does Same not sex. discriminate mm-hmm. based on sexual or- orientation because in 2006 the country uh, legalized same-sex marriage, becoming the first country in Africa to do so. So by that mere fact, it just goes to show you that the people of South Africa do not really seem want to entertain people who have a different kind of view when it comes to this this subject of LGBTQ because it's 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 a very sensitive topic here in Africa and we are still yet to know how to best navigate when it comes to this topic because even here in Kenya we seem to be having trouble uh, a majority of Kenyans are having trouble in even having this conversation to a majority of Kenyans having this conversation is a taboo but but I think there were quite you know they're being mean to to Lumumba in the sense that already South Africa has structures law in place to allow same-sex marriage. So there was nothing that Lumumba will have come to say in that particular lecture, or his opinion will not have interfered with the structures, the laws that they have in place. It's just somebody who has an opinion in a country where they have embraced it. So even if it's he is to make noise on that particular issue. Already, they they have you know clear systems on that, and opinions um, to counteract that have already been swallowed by the majority who have said that we are going to allow same-sex marriage. So for him, to, for them to say no is like not, be, not warranted at it all. Could be, it could be also the another the other issue of the Western powers trying to block him from. From, from going to South Africa because the Western nations are very clear that uh, people should never be discriminated because of their sexual orientation. So it could be that there's this angle of the Western powers trying to interfere with his 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 his, his invitation. But uh, I don't know. I, I have I have a, a, a question to, to put out there. Irene, you've touched on this as well. If the discussion has nothing to do with the LGBTQ issue, his address to these students, then what is the problem? It's not going to come up, providing there are guidelines in when he is, you know, giving his brief, giving, getting his brief. You do not bring this up. You do not bring your opinions about this up. 
then uh, what's the issue? If it's about, I mean, do we know what the discussion topic was for his conversation with this group of students? So the country, the, the Malema's party is marking, I think, is it 10 years anniversary? So he's, he's, most, he's more likely to speak about uh, political issues and how the country, especially the party, Malema's party has come, has come the, the, the journey of Malema's party in the fight against, in the fight for democracy mm-hmm. in South Africa. So primarily the discussions would center on political issues on uh, South Africa and maybe in in Africa in as as an entire as an entire bloc. Yeah. Okay. So so technically he wouldn't be touching I mean probably not touching on LGBTQ issues and therefore if yeah. if it is about if it is about the the freedoms they're enjoying now what what Malema has done because you know love him or hate him Malema Malema has done a lot for for the 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 black South African yes. population and mm-hmm. and he's vocal about it I mean I saw a, a conversation with him the other day on TikTok where he said he's going to try, start trying white people sports because he likes white people <laughs> he was going to try cycling and swimming so there you go all right we're going to end that conversation there when we come back of course we take a quick break and uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, a very touchy subject for Irene, uh, which is Man City's <laughs> Champions League uh, trophy uh, celebration. The treble is theirs. We'll be right back. for Manchester City to celebrate. Time to enjoy the moment. Time to enjoy their Champions League win, their first ever Champions League win. And a win brought to them by a magnificent second half goal by Rodri. What a night it's been for Manchester City and Pep Guardiola. What a season it's been for them. A time to reflect and a time to enjoy. Manchester City, the champions. And from Don Goodman and myself, Tony Jones in Istanbul, it's good night and goodbye. I mean, you got to love it. You don't have to be a Manchester City fan. Uh, and I know there are not many Manchester City fans in this country, but there are a lot of people that hate Manchester United and a lot of people that don't like Arsenal mm-hmm. uh, would have been very happy with that win. Having said that, uh, Inter Milan came in as a team or a side that was just simply not supposed to be there um, and yet they found every Champions League fixture through the group stages into the knockout stages they found a way they found a way they found a way they get to the final and if you talk to any pundit any analyst any expert they would have said 3-0 4-0 4-1 2-1 3-1 there was not anything in their minds that would have shown an Inter Milan side that played such a great football game but in the end the pedigree of Manchester City uh, maybe it was written in the stars for so long for Pep Guardiola. Uh, but let's get your thoughts on the game itself. Let's to look at it first, uh, team, <laughs> as uh, objective football lovers. <laughs> and then we can talk about why I, um, being a Liverpool fan, I'm not, a, I'm not mad at Man City winning that <laughs> Champions League trophy. Davis, I'll start with you. What a game. For the record, I'm a Manchester United fan, but what a way for the City boys to conquer Europe for the very first time. So we, I watched the game. The game, even even before the game, the City Manchester City was 
was the were the favorites when they were coming into this competition so it appeared from the beginning that this the game will would have seen many goals being scored but we only saw one goal which came from Rodri uh, and Rodri was uh, to many he never seemed to be the national to be the hero of the game because many thought that Erling Haaland and the likes of Kevin De Bruyne would uh, would be at their best in scoring goals for City but I think this is a big history for Manchester City considering they are the second English club in history to win a triple after the mighty Manchester United who did it back in 1999. So I think for Manchester City, this is a big win for them. Even Pep Guardiola has admitted that now he joke, he made a joke that they are now eyeing to to surpass their record tally of Real Madrid who have won, is it 14 or 15 <laughs> European Cup titles? They're not going to get past <laughs> Liverpool, man. Come on, let's be honest. With six or five, whatever it is. Uh, you know, it, it, was a gr- it was a great game. Rodri's goal was outstanding. I mean, Absolutely. He, it wasn't a strike. He passed it into the, the bottom right of the net. It was really a stunning goal. Uh, it threw a crowd of people, but there were two clear chances. Uh, we'll get back to Phil Foden's uh, missed opportunity as well, but there were two clear chances for Inter Milan, uh, and both involved Romelo Lukaku. What a swan song it would have been for him, having not had the impact in England that he wanted to have, uh, go to Inter Milan. I know, you know, we all know what it would have meant for him to have scored uh, not just a, an, an equalizing goal, but po- possibly a goal that would have won uh, the Champions League. I'll start with you, Irene. Um, one, one, he was in the way of one goal that would have clearly gone in because. Uh, uh, City's goalkeeper had no idea what, what was going on yeah. and then he had two sides of the goalkeeper open with a header and he went straight for the middle I, wait, he just seems to not quite be able to cross that line as a player yet he's such a dominant force I, I, I don't know what happened with um, Lukaku during that particular match because when he got in to um, the pitch during the second half fr- from where I was seated I was like oh, this guy this guy will save us because I, was, oh, I, I knew that I didn't want Manchester City to have their way but the chances that Lukaku missed from where I sit I don't think they'll, they'll be forgivable for people who didn't want you know City to have their way and given that City has had their way in FA um, in EPL and now they're coming to take you know Champions League well the three biggest trophies <laughs> you can get if you're an English club yeah yeah, yeah. so Lukaku missing those chances was like no man you 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 missed an opportunity that will have you know put um Guardiola you know some so, some given him some small headache in terms of winning <laughs> the but, Champions League think, but, but also you know, for Lukaku to pr- to prove himself because he's always been a player that you look at him you look at his ability you look at his skill and you say he should be so much better than he is when you analyze the first the, the first match of that game uh Inter Milan were doing much of the pressing but when it came to second half uh, City took over and it appears it was a case of the uh, Lady Luck shining upon the City and Pep Guardiola because when you look when you analyze City's record in the season they won 44 of their 60 games in all competitions this season completing a hat-trick of Premier League titles and claiming a fifth in sixth season the City boys plundered 150 goals in all competitions, the most of any team in Europe's top five leagues this season. Erling Haaland grabbed the headlines for the 52-goal haul in his debut season that included setting a single-season Premier League record of 36 goals. So this is a team from 2008 when the Abu Dhabi team came on board. 
we have seen a transformed Manchester City. Absolutely. If you look back to 1999, when 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 United were winning their treble, Man City were trying to get out of the third division. Yeah. So that tells you a lot of the quick growth of this side. Let's talk about before we close up. Let's talk about Elling Haaland for a moment. Uh, a non-factor. I've only seen that happen twice in the Premier League season. That was both times against Liverpool. Van Dijk managed to really keep him at bay. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Liverpool fan. It was quite an impressive job that Van Dijk did. What did Inter Milan get right? I think even coming to the tournament, Manchester City appeared, like I mentioned earlier, were the favourites because Pep Guardiola was really determined to get this title for Manchester City because it is one tournament that has been elusive for Manchester City to grab the cup. So Pep Guardiola coming into the tournament, he was very determined to ensure that this time around he gets to ensure that City grabs the European Cup title. So the question here is, the big question, the elephant in the room is whether Pep Guardiola will still remain in Manchester City and the likes, and whether he will be able to retain the same squad as we envision for... You know what they say, always go out when you're on top, yeah. never when you're on the way down. You could just ask... Uh, David Moyes and Sam Allardyce that question <laughs> they'll tell you the same thing I think he seeks to extend um, his term beyond 2025 then um, that explains his joke that uh, he wants to surpass Liverpool uh, <laughs> we'll give it to him we'll give it to him that he has he's been quite, quite uh, he's put in the work um, yeah. for, well, for Man City yeah. well the Saudis have put in the money I think that's more like it if every Premier League club had a bank account like Man City's sure. there would be a number of different look at Newcastle this I season <laughs> in one season with Saudi backing. I think Manchester City's uh, investment that is coming from the Middle East has sparked a very a very lively conversation in English football on whether we the, the clubs there should also reach out to these uh, business people, people to these people in the Middle East yeah. money. even They're in quite Manchester money. United yeah. we are mm-hmm. currently <laughs> six billion six billion dollar deal could be going down to the Saudis and Manchester United as well. So, but but I'm giving it to Guardiola is because the reason why I'm an Arsenal fan, the reason why we were quite unforgiving to Mikel Ateta is because he only had a team A. He, he never had a team B. That in the event where Saliba was not around, having an injury or Zaka, we seemed to not have our, our match in place. But when you look at how Guardiola, you know, arranged his matches, he has a team A and a team, a, a team B. He's got a team he, C as well, by <laughs> the way. A team C that so could play guy, any of the, the bottom, ha- bottom half of the... Yeah, the side. guy was well prepared. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you'll give it to him that, you well, know, they managed t- to, to get this many cups. And, and we're going to close off here, but if re- when Riyad Mahrez doesn't get a minute, you've got a very good side. A very Ab- good side. Absolutely. So we're going to end it with Absolutely. this for our good friends. Uh, if you are a Manchester City fan, uh, you'll appreciate this. If you are an anti United or Arsenal fan, you'll also appreciate this. We are the champions. Queen. Thanks very much, guys. We'll see you back here next Monday. Good. I've done my sentence, but committed no crime. And bad mistakes 